You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. God bless you as you head back to your seats. Let me say to all of you how honored we are to have you worshiping with us today. I thank you for coming to this house and helping us celebrate the central tenet of the Christian faith, and that is simply this, Jesus Christ did not remain in the tomb, but he came out of the tomb. And so today, I, I, let me entitle my, my message today, Because He Lives, Because He Lives, and I want to get in the word of the Lord, but before I do, I want to uh, let all of you know, so you'll be prepared, that at the conclusion of this service, as part of our altar uh, time, we will be having a foot washing service, and um, so I hope you're prepared for that. They'll be bringing pills in, and um, hopefully your toenails are the appropriate clipped length, and if not, we just talk about humility. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. But it is April Fool's Day. <laughs> True story. This morning when I, I, I walked out front to begin greeting people, uh, Jake, most of you know Jake, uh, Chad Tamisha's little boy. He's nine, I believe. He came up to me. He said, Pastor Nathan, today's April Fool's Day, and you've got to play a joke on everybody. He said, what are you going to play? And I said, hmm, I'll think of something. He said, you can tell me. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> so we have fun at church, and we hope you do too. If you don't, join our church. You'll like it better. <laughs> so, God bless you all. It's a privilege to preach the word of the Lord to you today. And I, of course, am going to uh, celebrate this day of resurrection. There is a tradition in the Greek Orthodox Church that when you say happy resurrection day one to another, you're supposed to laugh. When you hear that, you're supposed to laugh and you're supposed to say, so one person says, he is risen and the next person laughs and says, he is risen indeed. And the reason why they laugh is because they say the joke was on the devil. Isn't that great? It's a beautiful tradition. If the princes of this world had known who Jesus was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so I am going to uh, share some of these themes with you today, and we're going to celebrate this Resurrection Day together. My good news to you is this, that I will never get tired of sharing. Jesus was not a man like ordinary men. He was more than just a man. And although he was a great teacher, and although he was a great prophet, and although he was a great philosopher, and although he was a great everything, there is something unique about him. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. My good news celebration to you is this. Christianity is unique because of an empty tomb. Uh, 
All right, so let's get started here today talking about because he lives. This truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central necessary, somebody say necessary, the central necessary truth of the Christian religion. Without this truth, without this fundamental tenet of witness and expression of joy, expression of hope, expression of faith, without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, so much of what we think of as Christianity becomes null and void. Indeed, that is not my opinion. That is not even a tradition of the church. That is the expressed necessary condition of so many of the writers of the New Testament. Paul, most famously, uses this point and makes this point multiple times by saying, if Christ is not risen, then all of our hopes are for nothing. All of our wishes of eternal life are nothing more than a lie or a fraud. But if he indeed lives, then everything is different. You see, what makes Christianity unique is not the fact that it's a religion. Every human culture in the story of the human condition, every history book, every work of an anthropologist, all of them show that all human societies, all of them, there is not a single, uh, how shall we say, atheistic society in all of human history. Atheism was a result and an outgrowth of the modern mind, and all of the stories of All of us, none of us can say we're outside of this. There is, within the human heart, a desire to touch the eternal, a desire to know the God who created us. It is a universal truth across all human cultures and societies. It is not the fact that Christianity is a religion that it is special. It is this. It is the only religion of which there is a testimony of victory over death. You see, all humanity dies. We all of us are appointed a set time, a set season of years, and then with a haunting regularity, one generation after another passes into history. Whatever, Wherever you are at in your life, whether you are in the autumn of your life or whether you are in the spring of your life, this is an essential and perhaps somewhat sobering thought. We all of us are held captive by time, and there is an appointed end to all of our days, and And yet, of all human religions, there is no one who has a solution to the essential weakness and limitation of the mortal being. All of us are held by that, except for one shining light in a whole death march of history, right in the middle of the human story. So 
central to it that it changed the way we record time. So central to our hope and our faith that everything before Jesus Christ gets organized and categorized as before Christ and everything after Jesus Christ gets categorized as after Jesus Christ. He is so fundamental to our Christian hope that he is the light of promise in the midst of a dark reality of more mortality and death and weakness and loss. But because of Christ, you can have a hope today that although this body is mortal and it puts on corruption through the promises of God, we will be lifted up to meet him in the air. It is the central, fundamental truth of the gospel. Paul said, if Christ did not die, then we are of all men most miserable. You see, our victory is through Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? I said our victory is through Jesus Christ. Your victory is not because your grandmother had a prayer life. I'm glad your grandmother had a prayer life, but your victory is through Jesus Christ. And the reason why every one of us need a personal, living, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ is your praying grandmother can't get you to heaven. It is only through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the door. He is the only path to eternal life. He is central to the foundational theology of the Christian hope. Not one of us are good. Not even you good-looking folks. So you can lean over to your neighbor and say, listen carefully. This part is for you. Not even you are good. Go ahead and tell your neighbor. Say, not even you are good. Say, I know you look good. Tell them. I know you look good, but you ain't good, honey. Tell them. Go ahead. I know you look good. But you ain't good, honey. You got to say it just like that to get it right. You ain't good. There is only one who is good. That is God. You know how you become good? Through Jesus Christ. There is only one through whom we receive spiritual victory. Only one through whom we receive spiritual victory. It's not your cousin. It's not your uncle. It's not your grandpa. There is only one through which we have victory. And that is Jesus Christ and him gloriously ascended to heaven to be a mediator between God and man. The apostle said it like this. Mm. I'm sorry I'm excited. I'm supposed to be dignified on Easter. Um, I know you brought your friends, and I'm supposed to be dignified. And dearly beloved, we have gathered here together. But I'm just not feeling dignified here today. I want to tell you what the Apostle Paul said. Praise be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. You see, that side's spiritual over there. This, this part right here, y'all are all backslid over here. I want to preach to y'all. Praise be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have victory in Jesus. I have hope in Jesus. I have joy in Jesus. The central fundamental tenet of Christianity falls through if he did not come out of that grave. You see, our access to victory over sin is through Jesus. Honey, you a sinner? Go ahead, look at your neighbor. You a sinner? Now, don't be getting, don't, don't be getting all righteous. Oh, I, 
haven't sinned this week. Well, that's your first sin right there. You're lying up in the house of God. That's your first sin right there. Now, I'm not celebrating sin. I'm not saying that we are not able to have victory through Christ. In fact, that is what I'm saying. But I want you to understand, it's not by works of your flesh that you have that victory. And it's not by power of your flesh that you have God's righteousness applied to you. There is no righteousness in the flesh. If you are holy, it is because Jesus came out of that grave and he had the keys to death, hell, and the grave and you are imputed his righteousness and you are holy through his righteousness. You see, you have been invited. Oh my Lord, I might get to preaching here today. I'm trying to be good. I really am. I'm trying my best, but I'm, I'm not doing very good. I'm excited. And so you have to suffer when the preacher gets excited. You have been inv invited to a wedding party and the inviter has already surveyed your clothes. Now I know it's Easter and you think you look good and honey, you do look good. All you men best go home and tell your wife, just look at them and say, hmm, that's all you got to do and they'll know what you're talking about. You better tell them they're good looking. Uh, they dressed up on Easter. God bless them. Uh, I love me some pretty women dressed up on Easter. Now let me move on before I make the bishop nervous. All right. <sighs> this is what I want you to see. I'm, I'm glad you dressed up in your Easter clothes. I'm glad you're like, whoo, whoo. I'm glad. But the inviter, the person with the invitation to this wedding, uh, he surveyed your clothes. And he said, you will not fit in. Because in this place, there is the righteousness of the bridegroom. There's the holiness of the creator. And there is the glorious of the glorious nature of the heavenly host. And we're looking at you and you don't belong here. You are last year's style. But that's okay. You're still invited. The bridegroom has prepared you a coat to wear. And when you wear this coat of God's righteousness, no one will see that you're really a broke down loser. They will think, hmm, look at that person rolling. Because of Christ's victory, I have victory. Because of Christ's victory, I have healing. Because of Christ's promise, I claim that promise. The church exists because Christ came out of the tomb. The church is made up of weak, flawed people because Christ came out of the tomb. The church is full of ex-convicts and ex-gangbangers and ex-alcoholics and ex-drug addicts and ex-everything else. Why? Why, 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 why? Because Christ came out of the tomb and the tomb is empty. That's why the enemy always will try to destroy the doctrine of the resurrection. Because it is the fundament, fundamental foundation of everything that comes after that. Five times Jesus prophesied what he was going to do. He said as an example, a type, a teaching analogy to the house of Israel. He said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And the Bible says this spake he of his body that would be broken for us. That crucifixion of his body that would be a covering for all of my iniquity and all of my error and his body became the covering 
offering the innocent lamb of God. In him was a perfect tabernacle. In him was a perfect high priest. And within him was a perfect lamb of God for sinners slain. But the story cannot end with blood and fire. Your story cannot end with blood and fire. That's where all sacrifice stories end with blood and fire. Don't stop the story now. Let's let the story continue because three days later this borrowed tomb you want to know why Jesus did not provide for himself a tomb because it's just good financial sense if you're only going to need it for three days rent it don't buy it there's like the chief angel accountant up in heaven he's like doing the books do we need a tomb the other angel's like three days just rent that sucker go down to rent a tomb I think Joseph of Marimathea has a little business called rent a tomb down there and, and we'll just pick it up for three days and then we're up out of there and so that's what happens and, and Jesus is in this tomb and in that time he delivers the final victory that was prophesied all the way back in Genesis where the word was spoken to the serpent that had succeeded in turning the heart of humanity away from its creation and that prophecy said oh you have perhaps bruised the heel of the son of this uh, of this of this lineage but he shall bruise your head and so all hell thought they were doing the right thing but they were wrong the joke was on them and they realized that through this man comes the hope of all the world. And we have a church today because he's no longer in the tomb. We have hope today because the tomb is in empty. The psalmist told that his, he would be resurrected. There is many, many psalms of prophecy. The Savior at least five times prophesied. There is Old Testament examples that I think are so beautiful. Um, theologically and spiritually, uh, types are important because you should see them repeated over time. That's the importance of a type. And when you see it in the Old Testament, you will see it repeated through the Old Testament. You will see it in the tabernacle plan. You'll see it in the story of the house of Israel. You'll see it in the life of Christ. And you'll see that same type in the church age. That's important. That gives us peace that there is a continuity of interpretation. You should be afraid of someone just grabbing something here and grabbing something there and saying, oh, we have a doctor. No, that's not how it works. There should be a continuity through all these passages, and that's the power of a type. And whether it's the serpent's head being bruised in the garden, the prophecy of it there, fulfilled in the life of Christ, or whether it's Abraham, that first voice, that first heart to make a covenant with God. And he leads his son, his only begotten son, his beloved son Isaac. He leads him up to a, a sacrificial mountain, and there he prepares a sacrifice he does not want to offer. And as as he raises the knife to offer his own son, the angel stays his hand. See the type, see the type. And the angel says, touch not the lad. The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. You have to see the work of Jesus Christ is the sacrificial covering and that fulfillment of the type.
life happens again and again. It is shown in the beginning. It is shown through the house of Israel. It is shown in the church age. And when we ascend into glory, there will only be one who is upon the throne. Do you understand? It is the repetition. Now everything is subject unto him. This flesh that God made divine through his infilling. It is all subject unto him. And we all of us are covered in the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. How? To the glory of God the Father. Why? From the beginning to the end. Here is our celebration. God will provide for himself a sacrifice. But this sacrifice doesn't end in blood and fire. This sacrifice ends with an angel saying, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Oh, hallelujah. He is not here. He has risen. Come see the place where he has lain. Praise God. Praise God. So there's more than that. There's the sign of Jonah. Remember the Pharisees, critical of Jesus, they come to him and they say, look, uh, we don't believe in you. You need to give us a sign. The interesting thing is a lot of times when you are debating with someone, you don't, they, they don't really hear what you say. Um, they've already decided and there's really nothing you can say. And that's the reality of the Pharisees. There's absolutely nothing that Jesus can say. He can raise the dead. That's not good enough. You know, <laughs> I can't imagine that, but he opened the blind eye. That's not good enough. Nothing's good enough. They've already decided against him. Nothing is good enough. And so Jesus says, I'm only going to give you one sign. Here is the sign. It is the sign of Jonah. And for three days, Jonah was in the belly of the well. What are you talking about, Lord? Just watch and see. For three days, Jonah was in the belly of the well. But when he was delivered, it was in the place of his anointed purpose. And he was there for a reason, to be a messenger of grace. It's all in the type that repeats Old Testament prophets, gospels, epistles, revelations. It repeats, and you can see the great theme of grace running through it all. The sign of Joseph is uh, of Jonah is this: Jonah's running from God, and he argues with the Lord and says, "I did not want to go preach grace and mercy to Nineveh because I know you're a merciful God and you're slow to anger." and all those flawed, imperfect, flaky, broken people would have to do is say, I'm sorry for my sins, and you would forgive them, and I didn't want them to be forgiven. I just wanted the church to be me and mine, but I knew how you were, God. I knew if you sent me there, there would be mercy in the house of the Lord. You know why Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the sign of Jonah? Because it is the day that justice showed up with a sermon of grace. And in Christ is a great reconciliation of mercy and truth. Mercy and grace has met with justice and law. And ye are complete in him. 
All right, really quickly, I'm going to end with a few proofs. Now, I say I'm going to end, but it may take me a couple hours to end. Just consider yourself forewarned on this subject. The first proof of the resurrection is the empty tomb. No one disputed that the tomb was empty. Even the critics who were there and wrote in contemporary books, such as the history of the Jews and such as other writings that we have from the time, none of them dispute the empty tomb. The oldest writings we have of Jewish critics who do not believe, they admit the empty tomb. No one shows up and says, this is all a lie. It's all made up. Here is the tomb. No, here is the tomb and see that it is empty. That's the first proof. No one disagrees with the empty tomb. It is so important that the story originates in Jerusalem. The oldest recorded writing of witness to the Gospels is the book of Mark, and we've been studying the book of Mark. It's the first one. It was first begun, the witnesses and the sources in the scholarship as you go back are as early as within seven years of the death of Jesus Christ. And the story of the resurrection started in Jerusalem. Why is this important? It's because everybody in Jerusalem had seen a public execution and everybody in Jerusalem knew where Jesus had been laying. They knew they could see for themselves. With legends, the legend always starts away from the miracle. I don't have time to give you history, but if you study legends in history, the story of legend always begins away from the supposed place it happened, so no one can check on it. But in Jerusalem, the story starts in the city. And the story starts with women. In Jewish law, women could not give testimony. They were considered an unreliable witness. Isn't that a shame? That was the reality of it. If you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't start with women. You would start with men because that would make it more believable. But this story begins with women. I've seen many a move of God start with the women. And I want to say thank you to all our Christian women who are in many cases leaders in prayer and leaders in worship and leaders in caring for the poor and opening their hearts to needy in the church. I thank God for you. The story starts with the women. But if you're going to start, make up a story, you would not have done that. There's so much more here, but let me move quickly. This, uh, that's the second witness, uh, that the women were the first testimonies. If you would have made up a story, you would not have started it that way. The third witness is the life change, the courage that comes into the apostles themselves. They were so afraid that they all hid from uh, that moment of crucifixion. The only disciple there at the day of the crucifixion is John. And even John is not showing up like, hey, Hey, I'm with Jesus. John is like escorting the crying women. Isn't it interesting that in the church, a lot of times women have more courage than men. We'll have a meeting later, men, and we'll do something to build ourselves back up and make ourselves courageous again. But I'm wanting to say it's the women who had the courage to show up on that day of the crucifixion. And John's there kind of like, well, you know, I'm just taking care of the women, you know. <laughs> they need me. No, honey, you need them. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. And out of this, out of this, this moment is a great change. When the disciples experience 
experience a resurrected Lord, they no longer are afraid, but they are willing to risk everything because whether or not you believe in the resurrected Christ, they believed in the resurrected Christ and their life was a testimony. Fourth, they were willing to die for what they believed. Now, if you make something up with your buddy, if you come up with a story, that's all fine and good. You can go fishing and you can come back and you can say, we caught a fish. It was, it was that big. You know, you can make that story up. You like a, a one pastor I used to preach revivals for. He was real evangelistic. He'd say, my, he, one Sunday he leaned over to me. He said, my God, look at that crowd. That's three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred people out there. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's a spread right there. We went from 300 to 900 in one Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred people out there. <laughs> That's some faith, my brother. You can make up a story if you want to. You can say the fish was this big. But the moment somebody shows up with a shotgun and they say, if you say the fish was that big one more time, I'm going to bust a cap in you. The moment that happens, you're like, no, that fish was just about that big right there. Why? No one is willing to die for something they have made up with their buddies. No one is willing to see their family killed for something they made up with their buddies. James, the brother of Jesus, was not a believer until the resurrection. Now, let me tell you a little bit of family secret. If you don't have a brother, you don't know this is true. But if you have a brother, you know this is true. The only way your brother will ever think you're the son of God is if you rise from the dead. Your brother does not think you are the son or daughter of God. They may think you're the son or daughter of the devil, but they do not think you're the son or daughter of God. The only thing that convinces James is when he meets a resurrected Jesus and he becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And one of the accounts of how he died was about four or five years before the destruction of Israel. And he was, uh, of course, preaching Jesus, proclaiming uh, Jesus. And some of the leaders of the Jewish faith came to him and asked him to, to, to tell people that Jesus was just a good man. And they invited him to stand up on top of the temple and address the crowd, which he did. But rather than get up on top of the temple and say Jesus was, you know, just a good man, he got up on the temple and he said Jesus is the son of God and Jesus has ascended into heaven and has sat down on the right hand of God on high. That's how James dies. They rush to the top of the temple. They throw him off the temple. He falls to the rocks below and he's lying there. He's not quite dead and they stone him to death. He is the brother of Jesus, not James the disciple. If you're going to die, you don't want to die for a lie. Every one of these individuals believed it to their bones. They had seen with their eyes, and you cannot tell them. So forgive me for celebrating the fact that the tomb is empty. I said the tomb is empty. Is anybody excited about this truth? The tomb is empty. The next proof of the resurrection is the testimony of the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You think you are righteous, honey. You ain't even close. Paul was so righteous, he squeaked when he walked. That's how clean his heart was. 
Well, actually, it wasn't, but that's how clean he thought it was. And when he was converted, he had a personal appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was called into apostleship on the Damascus Road. And out of that testimony shows someone who is worthy to risk everything risk everything. And he does. He dies. But through his death comes the foundation of the church. The final and greatest testimony is all who saw Christ resurrected did not just believe in a kind of communal way. They believed so much that they were willing to die. Just as their the greatest testimony is the testimony of their life. Your greatest testimony is the testimony of your life. We all of us become like the blind man who amid all the confusion agree on this. I don't know all the stuff you say about Jesus and you say about Jesus and you say about Jesus, but this is what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. I'm here to tell somebody today. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. Jesus changes everything. You need victory in your life? Jesus changes everything. You need hope in your walk? Jesus changes everything. You need some rejoicing along your way? Jesus changes everything. You have victory through Jesus. You have hope through Jesus. If your heart is broken here today, you have hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going through sickness in your body, you have hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus changes everything. And I'm proud to say on this beautiful Easter Sunday, I am a believer in an empty tomb. I want to end with a testimony of two famous critics in the 18th century. They, uh, this happened around the 1750, uh, 1750s, I should say. Two of them, one named Gilbert West, one named Lord Littlefield, famous critics at Oxford uh, of Christianity. And after much mocking and various clever criticisms of Christianity, they decided that they would, each of them, uh, write a treatise, a critical treatise of uh, this Christian story, and they would, in their own way, seek to end it as a world religion. And so, uh, Gilbert West took upon the, the, the fundamental story of the resurrection, and Lord Littleton took upon the story of the uh, conversion of Paul, and they agreed. They would write their treatises, they would publish them, Interestingly, both of these treatises are available. I downloaded uh, one of the treatises this morning, uh, about 6 in the morning. It's available. Google scanned it for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> and uh, you can actually search it and read the treatise. It's written in very dense 18th century style language. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, have a quote from it today, but mm, it's pretty, pretty it's, it's heavy lifting, let's just say it that way. And so uh, each of them begin to study and they begin to look at all the evidence they both believed these were fabrications and they would meet to compare their notes and finally after several of these meetings uh, <laughs> Gilbert West made a confession to his friend Lord Littleton and he said this is we have their letters and so uh, we have their recording of their conversation uh, he said this I have something very important to relate to you Lord Littleton uh, you know, Littleton, how keen I was to expose as pure fabrication the resurrection of Christ. 
I therefore determined to thoroughly sift the evidence. And in doing so, I had to be honest. I had to be sincere. I had to be honorable. I had to forsake my prejudice and act upon the strict legal principle. Having pursued this line, I have been forced to the conclusion that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. Now, you may laugh at me if you like, Littleton, his words, but I got down on my knees and I asked the risen Savior to save me. And he has done it. So, Lord Littleton replies, strange to relate, I have had a similar experience. I too sifted the evidence sincerely, candidly, and honestly. And the more I weighed the evidence, the more I was forced to the conclusion that St. Paul was really remarkably converted on the Damascus Road. That being so West, as an honest person, I could do no other than fall on my knees and ask the same Christ to save me. And he has done it. Isn't that awesome? I am proud to say on this beautiful resurrection day, 2018, who would have thought we'd see 2018 on this beautiful day? I'm proud to say I celebrate an empty tomb. I celebrate a resurrected Savior. I serve a risen Savior who is in the world today, the song says. I serve the one who triumphed over death. And Christianity is unlike any other religion because although their tombs of great religious leaders become shrines, our tomb is empty. And thus we have the hope that some great glad getting up morning, I'll fly away. Let's all stand. Jesus changes everything. My ministry, some of my ministry leaders are coming down the front right now. All, those of you who raised your hand earlier in the service and you would like prayer on this day for something that's going on in your life, I want you to know this whole service has come to this moment where we are able to serve. If you have a need and you would like prayer, please step out right now. Come out of that seat that you're in. In a minute, we're all going to come, but I want those of you needing prayer to come first because this whole house is going to become an anointing service here today. I want those of you who raised your hand to come first. Come quickly. Come first. God is able to answer every prayer request. He is able to minister to every life. Now, church, I would like to ask all of you to come behind them. Step out of the chair that you're in. Come find someone up here that you can join with them in prayer. You can take their hand. You can speak faith. You can claim promise. You can speak the name of Jesus over their circumstance, over their need. This whole house is going to turn into a celebration. In a little while, we're going to have a baptismal service of another person to be baptized in Jesus' name. But here for a little while, we are celebrating together the powerful name of Jesus in our life. Hallelujah.
You know how we hit victory? We get it through Jesus Christ. You know how we get access to God? Through Jesus Christ. How we get access to mercy? Through Jesus Christ. What do you need here today? Jesus says it's available to you. Jesus says you can be healed by his stripes. We are healed. Jesus, through Jesus, some of you guys who struggle with feeling unloved, and you, you, you do your best to act like you don't feel that way, but you, your whole life you've struggled with feeling unloved and feeling rejected. I'm here to tell you, through Jesus Christ, you're loved. And you can know that love. And you can experience that embrace. Some of you guys grew up in terrible circumstances. You were, you were formed in pain. There was pain in your family. There was pain in your upbringing. And today, sometimes you feel like you're misshapen because of the pain that is in your youth. And you, oftentimes, when you're down on yourself, you think that's the reason why you didn't accomplish this or that's the reason you weren't good at that. And you let that pain be the limiter in your life. But I'm here to tell you, by his stripes, we are healed. Everything I, we used to sing the song growing up, everything I need, I find in Jesus. Everything I need, he's, he's food on my table. Oh, the Lord is able. How many of you ever needed some food on your table? Oh, you guys are rich as you can be. You've never been that broke. You never had to eat oodles of noodles for five days in a row. I can tell you are not, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you, everything I need, I find in Jesus. He's food on my table. Oh, the Lord is able. There's a, a song I learned from one of the missionaries. I don't know if this song is from the Caribbean or if it's from uh, some of the missions works in Africa. But there's this song a missionary taught us about how the, the Lord is the sugar in my tea. How many of you ever heard, you know that song I'm talking about? like three people. Some of you are like, yeah, I kind of know. You know, you don't know. They taught us this song and they would sing, he's the sugar in my tea. So I have a profound theological insight for you. I want you to share with somebody standing nearby. Say, Jesus is the sugar in your tea. He makes everything sweet. Oh, Rose of Sharon. He makes everything sweet. He's the lily of the valley. He makes everything sweet. He's the bright and morning star. He makes everything sweet. He put the sugar in my tea. Life was bitter. Life was bitter. Life was bitter. And then Jesus came into my life. Praise God. All our friends and guests, thank you for worshiping on Easter with us. You may not have known we were going to get this excited. We're only a little bit sorry, not a lot sorry, just a little bit sorry. Uh, but we're glad you're here. We're going to have a baptismal service here in just a moment. Ralph is getting baptized today, one of my first steppers. We're so glad. In the, in the 9 a.m. class, Eva was baptized. She's one of our first steppers too. The Lord's doing great things. She came out of the water talking in tongues. It was beautiful. It's a beautiful day. God's good. 
Have a great time with your family. Love your family today. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Go in grace. Go in God. If you're starting spring break, enjoy it. If you're finishing up, well, get back to work. We love you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.